Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. They steal the puck. Pedersen in front for Miller. Back to Pedersen. He scores. Oh, my goodness. What a goal. That's what I like with this team. They're a little bit resilient. We just want to keep climbing up the mountains. It's a long season. we got 40 games left. This is completely BS. This is shame. Shame for the referees. Shame for the league to allow this. It's a complete crack. Oh, God. Choking on my own rage here. Good morning, Vancouver. 6.01 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Alfred. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 6.50. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason just heard the Darko Ryakovic rant for the first time. <laughs> oh, it was a complete crap. Uh, shame. Great shame. They say the same thing about our show. Good morning, Michael. Uh, good morning, Jason. A dog. good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Laddie, good morning to you. Hello, hello. Intern Sonia, good morning to you as well. Good morning. Good morning. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. He really has heard the Darko Ryakovic rant for the first time. Is it, is it a complete crap? Heard it over in my head while Halford was reading that. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet? What are you waiting for? Kintech, not complete crap. Good. Big show ahead for the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. 6.30, Jeff Merrick is going to join us, host of the 32 Thoughts podcast, host of the Jeff Merrick Show. And he's coming to Vancouver in just over a week's time, Victoria, actually, if we're being geographically accurate. Uh, Jeff Merrick's going to join us at 6.30. There's a lot to get into from around the National Hockey League, including the first and second place teams in the entire NHL, which, of course, as everybody expected, are Winnipeg and Vancouver. (laughs) Just like everybody thought. Uh, Jeff Merrick at 6.30 will join us on the show. 7 o'clock, Jordan Hall, NBC Sports Philadelphia. He is their Flyers beat writer. We'll ask him more about this Cutter Goche situation. Now that the story's about 36 hours old and everyone's sunk their teeth into it, including Jordan, we'll mm. ask if he's figured out what went wrong exactly. How did they get to this point between Cutter Goche and you the know, Flyers? I know Fridge has, has reported a lot about... Um, the negotiations or the talks to sign Cutter Gauthier and how maybe something had to do with them not wanting to sign him at a specific time because of like bonus overages. And I'm like, it's got to be more than that. Mm-hmm. It's got to be more than just like the negotiation for your first contract. I think what everyone's lo- what everyone's looking if for it is, is if, the- it, if it is, it was like it was like a shocking breakdown in communication. Uh, what everyone's looking for is that one flashpoint, like yeah, know, disrespected or someone said something bad about his mom or dad yeah, or something. Like Danny Briere and called him Carter instead of Cutter or something. I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if that would le- rise to the level of I'm never playing for the Flyers. But I get your point. <laughs> But what, what would a would a would a mere contract negotiation for your first contract? I'll tell you what. We'll ask Jordan Hall at seven okay. o'clock because he's going to join us from NBC Sports Philadelphia. Uh, Eight o'clock. We have a big announcement on the show. That's right. 
Halford and Bruff, breaking news. At 8 o'clock, we are going to announce the winner of this year's JCC Sports Dinner Jack Diamond Award winner for Sports Personality of the Year. Jason Tackerman from the JCC is going to join us live at 8 to announce the winner. Then... The winner is going to join us live on the Halford and Bruff show shortly after the announcement. That's at 8 o'clock. Also, at the end of the show. Is he or she just going to be, like, getting out of bed? I don't know. One day win. You know what? I'm not revealing anything. (laughs) I'm not going to say anything about the winner other than the winner is going to be announced live on the air. Halford and Bruff, 8 o'clock. Also... Live on the Halford and Bruff show today, we are going to give away another pair of tickets to see the 32 shot thoughts. 32 shots. That's a dead. You do that afterwards with me, uh, Fridge and, Man, and Merrick. The Islanders would love to get 32 shots. How many did they finish with yesterday? Like four. Oh, okay. No, Good 20, night for days. 20, but four in the third. Uh, 32 thoughts, not shots, but thoughts. Live show tickets. The show, Thursday, January 18th at Wicket Hall in Victoria. Now, here's the key. We'll give you the tickets, but you have to promise to be able to make the show. It's on a Thursday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in Victoria. So I bet that whittles down a lot of the contest entrants, the available people that can do it, the eligible contestants. But anyway, if you want to win the tickets, Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Text in on what we learned. Put a ticket emoji into the text. You'll be entered into the grand prize draw to see Frege and Merrick. And the 32 Thoughts live show in Victoria. I was actually thinking that 2 o'clock show could be tough in Victoria because that's almost tea time. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It runs up against Donnie and Dolly, I think. And then Judge Joe Brown. Tea time at the Empress. Yes. Mm -hmm. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever done high tea at the Empress? No. My mom took my brother and I to us as kids. Yeah. How was it? Not great. Really? Not for kids. It's not. Oh, it's not. It's like, not meant for like. I was like. Well, what about when they bring by the big like, uh, like uh, they're not candies, but it's a big tray with all the sweets. Yeah, it's they're they're old school English. Tell me yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so, what. That's what. Right? It's like here's a month old Turkish delight. I hope you enjoy it. Right. It, okay. It's not great. Right. Like, just trust me on this one. If you have kids, you and your brother were like, "Can we smoke here?" Yeah, I was only eleven. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Matt, smoky or what? Okay, uh, working in reverse on the guest list. 8 o'clock, we're going to announce the JCC Jack Diamond Award winner. 7 o'clock, Jordan Hall for NBC Sports Philadelphia. 6.30, Jeff Merrick, who will be here uh, on Jan 18th for the 32 Thoughts Live Show. That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. The Vancouver Canucks won their third, third consecutive game. They swept through the New York, New Jersey metro area. A 5-2 victory over the New York Islanders on Tuesday night at UBS Arena. This is the brightest and most optimistic time to be a Canucks fan in over a decade. Yes, I'm including the bubble in this. I realize that was actually the playoffs and the Canucks managed to win a few series, but that was also a really weird time. And I don't think a lot of the teams even wanted to be there. Um, I'm not going to relitigate the bubble, but it's hard to conclude anything other than the Canucks being a very good team after these past three games, and especially when you add it to the way they started the season. They are getting better 
and seemingly more confident and the reunification, if you want to call it that, of the lotto line has given them seemingly another gear. Think about it. The Canucks just had to play three games in four days against some pretty good teams. All they, in playoff positions. They dominated the Devils, and, and you know we did say, because it was accurate to say, listen, this wasn't the typical Devils team. They were missing a, a lot of good players, including Jack Hughes. Well, what did they do next? They went into Madison Square Garden, the most famous arena in the world, and they scored a handful of highlight goals against a New York Rangers team, which is way up in the standings. Then the very next day, with no rest, they dominated the Islanders. And I mean dominated them. Mm -hmm. That was a clinical win over the Isles. And the Isles were essentially left with nothing at the end. The Rangers had a push. The Islanders had no push. And the Canucks looked like the type of team that just gets a lead, takes care of business, is very comfortable in its own system, knows what it can do, knows what it can't do. Uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team in the NHL that's had a three-game stretch like the Canucks just did this season. How well did they play at 5-on-5 five five last night? And this is big, and we'll get into this later. Well, they actually lost the special teams battle. Yeah. They didn't score on the power play which might be the biggest concern right now. And they surrendered a power play goal on the PK. So actually, special teams aren't even going particularly well. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people were like, why are you being negative about that? Why are you being negative about that? In a way, it's a positive because I think the power play will come along at some point. Mm -hmm. And the big doubt that everyone had about this team was can they control the game at five-on-five? And they're starting to control these games at five-on-five. New Jersey, they controlled. The Islanders, they controlled. The Rangers, I mean, it's tough, you know, to control three games in a row on the road, especially against a good team like the Rangers. But it was almost like break-even against the Rangers. The Rangers analytically probably had um, the numbers on that night, but the Canucks also had a lead. Mm-hmm. For most of that game. Last night, Noah Dobson, the Islanders' best defenseman. Is that generally everyone thinks that Noah Dobson is probably the yes. Islanders' best yes. defenseman? He, he, was a, best he was a minus three. Yeah. And I know people are getting tired, which is weird, uh, tired of my positivity or maybe tired of hearing my absolute amazement mm-hmm. at how this season has played out. But I think fans need to understand how rare this is, how rare this turnaround is. Teams can improve. Teams are allowed to improve. Teams improve all the time. But to this degree, the Canucks finished with 83 points last season. I realize the season is over only halfway, but they are on pace for 114 points. We haven't seen many turnarounds like this. Like people remember them. The Penguins had a turnaround um, when Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin first joined that team. Mm-hmm. The Avs had a turnaround like this. The Devils actually probably are the most recent and maybe most comparable turnaround because those Penguins and Colorado teams that I talked about, they went from being like dreadful. Yep. Like, you know, they were 40 points in a season to, you know, mildly respectable with, I don't know, 90 points or something like that. The uh, Devils, 
I think went from like in the 60s to over 100 points, and that was just just last season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not without precedent, I suppose, but it is still incredibly rare. And to watch the Canucks dominate that Islanders team last night, and I was listening to the post-game show, and the, re- the word remarkable just kept on coming up, and, you know, I don't have a... Super deep vocabulary, so I'm going to go with remarkable too. This whole thing is remarkable. It's pretty crazy, and it, sometimes I feel I feel bad for our listeners when we come in and we don't have anything more to say or anything more intriguing to add. I always feel it. bad for our listeners. Well, yeah, you yeah. get the best and worst of times. I feel bad for them. Like they're being forced to listen to this. Uh, really remarkable synonyms in case you want to keep going along. Yes, please. Ex- extraordinary, exceptional, amazing, astonishing, astounding, marvelous, wonderful, sensational, stunning, incredible, unbelievable, and miraculous. But the thing Lots is, of choices. and thank you for that. You're Mr. welcome, Mr. Thesaurus. Yeah. But I, here's the thing: um, when you're experiencing something that hasn't happened before. It does take a couple of moments to almost step back and say, what exactly are we witnessing here? Are we, what is going on? Are we cognizant of how unique and rare this is? Because the one of the things that we've said over the last 10 years is it was the warm, comforting, cold, soul sucking blanket of losing. It was the repetitiveness (laughs) of it. And we knew exactly how it was going to feel because we had gone through it in previous years. Remember, Mm -hmm. it's it's time for another death march. That was a song that we wrote and sung on this show. And you think about it now, and it's like, well, there's no comps. There's no real past experience to draw on. Like, how are we supposed to deal with success? How are we supposed to deal with this type of it? Because the last time that this franchise... <laughs> or are, we, are we getting fooled here? Are we getting fooled here? There's still that element, right? Yeah, there is, 100%. And I, I also kind of hate leaning on that sometimes, too, because sometimes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, when, it, when the team will inevitably bobble... Make no mistake, there will be a wobble at some point this season. No, but maybe not, because remember uh, at the season opening presser, when I showed up and, of course, get the get the key quote in it. And it's a big question. I'm, I'm big amazing. Yeah. Uh, Jim Rutherford said, and I think this took a lot of people by surprise when he said this, he said, if everything goes right, yeah, I think we're a playoff team. Yeah. They well, And that's the thing. Everything's gone right, and they've even exceeded... Um, I would suggest his expectations because they're much more than a playoff team right now. Yeah, I don't know how you can look at this team as a neutral observer. Let's take either your Canuck fandom or your Canuck hatred out of it, whatever way you're leaning. There's no way you can look at this team as currently constructed and say they are just a marginal playoff team. They're second in the National Hockey League. They just, again, this road trip, and there was we clipped it yesterday of me saying, I thought through two games, on this New York, New Jersey swing, that it was going to be a definitive point in the season. Forget that. If you're gonna if you're gonna look back on where the trajectory of this team really happened during the 2023-2024 season, you may say it was when they came off the loss to St. Louis, mm-hmm. Talkett put the lotto line back together, and then they absolutely exploded with three very comprehensive and very dominant victories, three and four nights against the Rangers. The Devils and the Islanders, all of whom are playoff teams. Yeah. That is a very tall order. Like, how many other NHL teams are going to do that this season? Are going to run the gamut like the Canucks just did? Right? The Canucks had no business doing what they did against the Islanders. The Islanders because, one was the one that caught me the most. Because I'm honestly, not lie. no NHL team has, like, they, they, they shouldn't, that should not happen. The second game of a back to back when you're playing three games in four nights should be one of those scheduled losses. Now, the advantages the Canucks could have had in that is that 
they didn't have to get on a plane after the Rangers game. So I mean, the Islanders hadn't played since Islanders, Saturday. Yeah, but the Islanders, you know, the Islanders had had been in pretty good form, at least winning a few games here and there. Um, and the one thing that the one thing that impressed me the most is it kept getting worse for the Islanders. Like they had no. It kept getting better for the Canucks. It, they had no. They had no pushback. Can they, I? Also- they, had, they, had, they had nothing in the third period. And I was I was laughing because uh, I was listening to Rand Deep on the post game show, and he had in his notes section he keeps notes during him like a real professional. Ooh. In the third period, he was like his note was boring. Yeah, just <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and that is an amazing thing to say about um, a game when you are the road team, and again, theoretically, should be tired. Yep, and you're leading the game. And you make it boring. That is a well-coached team. Mm-hmm. That is a team that knows its system, and that is the team we've been waiting for in Vancouver for a long, long time. You can make the argument they were playing with their food last night. They started their backup goalie. They gave Ian Cole a night off just for rest, right? I mean, we—I listened to the talk at audio this morning as we were running through some of the clips from yesterday, and talk. It just basically—he's like, "Yeah, I just had to convince him to not play last night because we're thinking long term here." Like, when has that been an option for this organization? Right? Again, the other thing when you said Randeep was talking about the third period being boring, the Canucks are now twenty-four zero and zero when leading going into the third and, period. And, they've and, they've led twenty-four times going into the third period. They've won all twenty-four of this game, those games, and that's harder to do. In today's NHL, there's comebacks all the time. Um, and I know well, I'm going to get my 2011 reference out of the way uh, early okay. in the show. That was a staple of the Canucks in 2011. That if they went into the third period with a lead, they were going to win that game. You lock it down. They would. They knew how to lock down a game. And the Canucks haven't been perfect. Let's be honest. Uh, even well, I guess they have been perfect <laughs> in terms of the results. But you know, there have been moments where they've had. Some breakdowns, the end of the New Jersey game, like that shouldn't have been as close, but New Jersey had a push and the other team is allowed to play. Mm-hmm. You know, the other team's allowed to have good moments too. Not many against the Vancouver Canucks, but uh, I want to read this text from Mark in White Rock. Going back to when Tockett was hired last year, the team is 47-23-7 under him. That's almost a full season of games. It's time to realize this ain't no fluke. The Canucks were already a good team, just playing very badly, needing leadership. Okay, I'm going to disagree with that last part. The Canucks were already a good team. No, they weren't, because what they're doing right now is the hard part. Canucks, Committing, had, good, Canucks had good players. They're a bad team. They also didn't have the depth that they have No, but they had good season. players. They, they still, had a good core. Yeah. They had a good core, but they didn't know how to play as a team. And that is maybe one, maybe the hardest thing, right? You get all this t- talent together, but who are you? What is your identity? And that is what Rick Tockett has started to forge or already forged in Vancouver. And he's put guys like Quinn Hughes in place to help him carry out those orders and he is being very hard some people say too hard but i vehemently disagree on players like andre kuzmenko that mm-hmm. if you are not on board then you're not going to play you're some nice. get healthy scratch five well, times. last night's and win shows how important it is to play that system that kuzmenko sometimes struggles with right like you got to be able to lock it down in the third and win a game i mean everyone should know this though 
This but some guys is, every, don't play every, that. Everyone, right? But everyone should know how important it is to play as a team yeah. and play as a system. Hockey is not the most complicated a game in the world, but there are things that you absolutely have to do, and that's what Rick Tockett calls his staples. And it is one of the best coaching jobs I've ever seen in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And That's I, fair to say. I, 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 I didn't know what to expect from Rick Tockett. I, I thought the same thing in some ways that other people – had said, you know, like, well, what did you do in Tampa Bay? What did you do in Arizona? Oh, yeah, in the back lot, of my mind, there I There a said, lot of questions. Yeah, in sure. the back of my mind, I, I was like, well, you know, like, to be fair to Rick, he didn't have all that much talent on those teams. He has way more talent on, on the Vancouver Canucks to deal with. But, you know, you still got to go in and you still got to do the day-to-day work. This doesn't come with speeches. It doesn't come with, like, one big moment. It's the day-to-day work. And that's what the Canucks are going to have to keep doing. Now he's a Jack Adams favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's it insane. Is, it is awesome. It's awesome. And uh, I'm proud of them. But, you know, they they just – they and and the other thing that I that I like about them is, like, the expectations have been raised. They were so low. They were so low. Ulevi would make a breakout pass and we'd all give him, you know, a standing ovation. Nikolai Goldobin would actually attempt to win a puck battle, even if he didn't win it. You know, we gave him a standing ovation. Ulevi outlet pass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's salute, what I'm talking about. I was like, wow, he hit an open man. January, Great, right? January like, 10th used to be. I the hated end. it. I hate, I hated that attitude. And now the expectations are raised again. And, you know, every time I think Quinn Hughes had a had a had a good quote, it was either on the athletic or, or to IMAC and Sportsnet or maybe in both the out, uh, outlets. It was just um, it was like, you know, I think you guys probably think I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, like r- having all sorts of fun um, this season. And he's like, you know, my stress is keeping this going and yeah. my stress is making sure as the leader of this team, that we keep doing this. We keep playing the same way because the key is to make your habits a daily thing. That's why they call them habits. It's not like once in a while when we do this, we play well. No, this, you know how they say like, it's like your habits make you who you are. Mm -hmm. What you do is is who you are. Who, Who you are is not what you hope to be or who you think you are. Who you are is what you do. Yeah. Okay, we got a lot more to get into on the program today. Jeff Merrick's going to join the program next. Uh, we will get into some of these other stories around the NHL. There are a variety of teams that are just lighting up the standings as well. It's not just the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers won their eighth straight yesterday. So, too, did the Florida Panthers. There's a bunch of other ones going on. The Winnipeg Jets are the hottest team in hockey, not named the Vancouver Canucks. And they, of course, are atop the NHL standings. We'll get into what happened in Philadelphia with Cutter Goche. We're also going to do that at 7 o'clock. Jordan Hall from NBC Sports Philadelphia is going to join the program. And then at 8 o'clock, we are going to announce the winner of the JCC Sports Dinner Jack Diamond Award for 2024. Jason Tackerman from the JCC is going to join us at 8 o'clock. And then we will talk with the winner that is going to be live announced on the air on the Halford & Bruff Show at 8 o'clock. That's all coming up. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We hung in there. That's what I like with this team. They're a little bit resilient. You know, um, you know, I don't think we really put a 60-minute dud together. You got the dud! <laughs> hey! 
He looks just like you, Poindexter. 6.30 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. You've been sitting on that dud one for a while, eh? It was tempting to use in the intro, but you go in postgame, you say the word dud, you're going to get the Simpsons reference. Stand up for yourself, Poindexter. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Jeff Merrick's going to join us in just a moment here. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. He is the host of the 32 Thoughts podcast. He is the host of the Jeff Merrick Show. He's coming to Victoria in a week's time. It's Jeff Merrick here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Jeff. How are you? Coming to see my sister, and I guess I'll do a podcast in between that and various Hockey Day in Canada things. My sister lives in Victoria. Always get a chance to go see her. Yeah. Excellent. How you doing, Jeff? How's the morning? Good. Uh, it's treating me good. Your, uh, your team looks very nice. I'm pretty sure everybody in the... Uh, in the New York area, are happy to see them leave. Mm-hmm. We were talking about this from a historical context because uh, I believe that's the first time in franchise history that Vancouver has run the gamut of New York, New Jersey, and emerged with a bunch of victories. And then we were also yeah. talking about historical year-to-year turnarounds and just how remarkable okay. the Vancouver Canucks are, given how low in the standings and how few points they had Last year, and we were trying to think as we do this sort of historical look on the fly, how does this stack up to some of the greatest, you know, year-to-year turnarounds in NHL history? The one I always think about because of Jim Rutherford's ties to it was the Carolina Hurricanes, who prior to the lockout were really bad at hockey. They were not good at all. I think they had a 76-point season. They come back and they jump all the way to 112, and then, spoiler alert, they win the Stanley Cup at the end of that. So I'm not sure this is that, but historically, Jeff, this has got to be in there as one of the greatest year-to-year turnarounds ever. I think you nailed it with Carolina. I think that's the big one. I, I want to get back to that in a couple of seconds because, you know, in a lot of ways, with all due respect to everybody who did something that year, I kind of take that whole season with a grain of salt yes. on that in a couple of moments. What about Colorado, though? What about the Avalanche in that one year they went from, I think this was like from 2017 to 18 or 2016 to 2017? Where they went from like 40 points to 100 points. They went from 48 to 95. I got it right in front of me right here. That's crazy. What were were the years? Uh, 2016-17, they had 48 points. The Sharks might even get to that this year. (laughs) And then 95 the year after. Dreadful. And and more recently, too, what New Jersey had a big turnaround as well. Yeah, the, the the Colorado one was that was it when they were. I mean, that was sort of uh, the rise where everybody started to understand what PDO was, mm-hmm. and everyone kept saying unsustainable, unsustainable. And that was, I believe, with with Patrick Waugh, and for the first half of the season, went with this like junior hockey man on man defense in their own zone, and it kind of confused everybody in the NHL. They were like the only team doing that. Couple that with an incredible. You know, an incredibly high PDO, and that was a sort of recipe for that. As far as the Carolina Hurricanes go, okay, I, I know this isn't a very fun thing to say, but whatever. Um, it's it's far enough in the past that I don't think I'm going to bruise any egos here. But don't you kind of take that first year after the lockout, sort of crumple it up and throw it out? Uh, the first, like, I remember watching the first couple of months when everyone had 13 power plays a game. 
and yeah. and thinking, hmm, I wonder how we're going to look back on this historically. That was like Brian Gionta had like 50 goals that year. It was all over the map. I do remember that. I remember that vibe, yes. Jonathan Chicho won the Rocket Richard. Yes, that's right. <laughs> the Carolina Hurricanes went from, I mean, mind you, there was a whole you know lockout year in between, but I don't know what their winning percentage was in uh, 03 or 04, but it's pretty abysmal, to becoming the Stanley Cup champions. Like, really, really bizarre things. I mean, that was the year, that was the, the season where, you know, new rules package, uh, new way to play the games, you know, Shanahan Summit, um, you know, stricter attention uh, paid to interference in, in the neutral zone, interference in the defensive end, the game opened up and all of it. And essentially what happened that year was everybody had to relearn how to play. Everybody had to try to break old habits and then learn the game again. And some teams, like I remember the Philadelphia Flyers specifically, like Bob Clark did not believe that they were going to keep the standard up. So they brought in like Mike Rathje got another contract and Darian Hatcher Darian was Hatcher, in, yeah. right? That was another. And so he just kept going for oak trees on the blue line thinking like, okay, that's what hockey's always been. Yeah. You know what? We've seen crackdowns before. It usually lasts about a month. The general managers complain, and then we go back to water skiing in the neutral zone. Well, it didn't happen. And in the process, a lot of players had to relearn the game. A lot of them didn't like it. Some adapted well. And at the end of it, out of nowhere, the Carolina Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup. Now, I think that something interesting also happened that year. And that was, you know, that began a group of hockey players that were really young, that were just picking up sticks and learning how to skate. And they were the ones that grew up not having to break old habits and learn how to play the game again. They were the first ones that grew up saying, this is just how we play hockey. And that was the Connor McDavid group. The Connor McDavid's group of, of players, when all those kids first started picking up sticks, you know, McDavid's old, you know, Marley's team was Sam Bennett and all these other guys, Roland McEwen and Jeremiah Addison, like all these young studs, like they all, this is just how we play. This is just what hockey is. And you're seeing that in, in the NHL now. But we're really quick to forget. It was a lot of power plays. It was a lot of, I'll be honest, bad hockey. Like it was really sloppy. It was a really, everyone was really unsure of how the game was going to be called. So I think Carolina, this is another long-winded answer for me. Carolina, I think, is the best example but I think that it comes with an asterisk or at least a grain of salt because everybody had to relearn the game. Carolina just got there first. But the one thing, the one, I'll tell you what, now that I remember it, Carolina and Nashville did something that I really respected, uh, really respected. I remember asking Jim Rutherford about it. Do you remember what Carolina and Nashville did coming out of the lockout when there was the first, the first salary cap, which the, the high end was 39 and the low end was 21? Mm, in all of I their don't. press releases, in all of their press releases, they identified how much money the player was being paid. Right. And that was like, that was revolutionary. I'm sure other teams were like, we don't have to do this, do we? And Lou Lamarall went, I will never do this. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I remember asking Weatherford about it earlier uh, uh, when he was GM of the Carolina Hurricanes. I said, well, A, this is a breath of fresh air, what you and David Poyle are doing. Um, And B, why are you doing it? He said, you know, look, we need to, you know, sell our hockey team to our fans. And now that there's a salary cap, they need to understand that as we put a roster together, here's how we're using our resources. This is just so our fans can understand why we can have this and we can't have something else. 
Rutherford was the first. Rutherford and Poyle were the two first. Now, they're from smaller market teams, and I guess you want to have as much information out in the marketplace as you can. But those were the first two that said, you know what, there's a salary cap. We need to adjust how we behave and how we communicate with our fan base. Uh, so, Jeff, I'm going to respectfully disagree with your comparison to the Hurricanes as being the best because I think I, I think I think it's a good comparison. I don't disagree. I, I don't. I'm not saying yeah. it's a bad comparison, but I think we okay. we just had one in the NHL, and that is the New Jersey Devils. Um, and the New Jersey Devils went from what did they have? They had 63 points in 21-22, up to 112 points just yeah. last season. And I was just yeah. doing a little research on that. And Lindy Ruff, their head coach, uh, had a pretty good quote uh, right at the end of the regular season. He said, well, I answer that one usually with, you got to be a bad team the year before to have the biggest turnaround. And then he said, (laughs) it goes to where we wanted to focus, and it started Mm -hmm. with playing better defensively, and we accomplished that. We found a lot of different ways to win a lot of games. When I look at the Canucks team stats, you know, everyone's focused on the individual point totals of Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson and JT Miller, yeah. and Brock Besser and Philip Peronik. Yeah. I'm probably leaving guys out uh, right now. But when I look at the goals against of the Vancouver Canucks at 2.59, fourth best in the NHL, you know, the yeah. Winnipeg Jets are number one. And they're writing a great story. And the Pittsburgh Penguins, who the Canucks will see on Thursday, are number five. And I don't know what their story is yet because I'm really confused by them. They seem to be a good team, but they just can't string together a winning streak. Uh, It just seems to be one step forward, one step back, one step forward, one step back. But, you know. But for me, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm an, I'm an old dinosaur. But for me, a lot of it is like take care of your own end, and good things will happen. Build from your blue line out. You look at all the teams that have won the Stanley Cup recently, as much as we put a premium on speed and skill and flashiness and blah, blah, blah. What do Vegas, Colorado, Tampa, St. Louis, like, what do they all have in common? They can all defend. Yeah. They, they, they can, at, the, at the end of all of it, like, you, know, you keep hearing hockey is a simple game. Like, there are some basic truths that, still, truths that still exist in this game, and that is if you can't defend, you're not going anywhere. Now, hang on a second. I am fascinated by this question. So now I really have the hamster wheel turning. Can you do me a favor? Sure. Can you look, can I ask you to do like show prep while the show is going on? <laughs> we got it. <laughs> what, was, what was the Rangers record before, I know this is a sore spot, before they won the Stanley Cup in 94? They were, the I got it right in front of before? me. They were 30, got it? 34, 39, 11. They had 79 points in 92, 93. The next year, 52 24 and 8 for 112 points and the Stanley Cup. Yeah, okay. So maybe it wasn't as, maybe not that's as a huge as jump. Oh, that's a big jump. That's a big jump. That would be comparable to Vancouver. I, they had 83 the, points the, last season. The, the, the interesting thing about that one is look at their look at their record before that down year. Because as, as I recall it, they had like a monster year and then fell flat yep, on their you're face. You're right. Yep. You're and absolutely they were, right. And they were going to tra- they were going to trade everybody, mm-hmm. and Mark Messier had to beg Neil Smith not to get rid of everybody. Yeah, they went. Well, they, they went, fired. They fired the coach. They fired Roger Nielsen and brought in Mike yeah. Keenan for that one sole year where they yeah. won the the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I forgot that trajectory. So they went 105 <laughs> points, 79, yes. 112 yes. points. What a weird anomaly <laughs> that year was. 
That's right. And they, uh, and, and, and didn't, and Keenan got, got nailed for tampering as well. Like negotiating with the St. Louis blues, I believe it was right. <laughs> before the season was done. Like the whole, the whole story of that team is fascinating where, you know, uh, Messier's, Messier's fingerprints all over a lot of the decisions, uh, and who they brought in and, and who they got rid of. And that was, uh, I'll leave out who they beat in the Stanley Cup final. Um, but that was, that was, that was an intriguing. That might be the, the biggest, sort of three-year swing of any team that we've seen. How about that? Hey, Jeff, when when we were in Los Angeles, Halford and I, uh, for the All-Star game, um, we saw Brian Leach, and yep. we were all waiting for the elevator together. Halford, first of all, refused to get in the elevator with Brian Leach. And what? yeah, because he because he was like he was like that guy ruined my childhood. I'm not I'm not getting in an <laughs> elevator with that guy. And then and I, Sergey Zubov in an elevator then, together. And then I got in the elevator with him, and there was some Rangers fan in there, and he goes, "I just want to thank you for what you did in 1994." And I oh, waited yeah. and I waited that comic beat where it went to silence, and I was like. I'm from Vancouver, and the elevator got a good laugh out of that. And like, yeah, Halford was like, "I'm not going in this elevator with him," which was pretty funny. Um, that team, that team. I mean, that team. That it, what was so funny about that year was that was all about the Rangers, except in Vancouver. And Vancouver nearly, nearly pulled it off. That game five. That there was going to be the celebration at Madison Square Garden, and the Canucks go down yeah. there and win that, and then Game Six in Vancouver, probably the greatest game ever played in Vancouver. The Canucks win that Game Six at the Coliseum, and then they just fall short in Game Seven. Was it Nathan Lafayette who hit the was it a crossbar or a goal? Hit post? the post, yeah. But at the oh. time, you know, during the game, I, I don't know if the broadcast actually picked up that it hit the post. It was almost like afterwards we realized how close it was. How close. Yeah, I was right that that one crushed me too. I remember, uh, I remember that entire. It was first of all, it was one of the best Stanley Cup finals we've ever seen. Like, I still think that '87 was the best Stanley Cup final I ever saw. Like that seven games between Philly and Edmonton was gorgeous, but that Vancouver New York Rangers '94 was was an absolute delight um, and and a thing of beauty as well. Uh, and that crushed me because I hated the Rangers. <laughs> like, I I just couldn't. And the New York Rangers, but I, I will tell you this: to the to the point about people coming up to Brian Leach and thanking him, Neil Smith tells me. It's funny. I was just talking to Neil. He's got a podcast coming out, uh, a new one, and I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago. And he, he says, like, whenever he's in New York, he will still to this day have people randomly walking up to him and thanking him for '94. For that thing like a final for finally getting yeah. rid of the curse for finally getting getting that off of uh, off of people's minds and i guess you know stopping the ridicule i guess more than anything else although you know what that I, I, we always talk about you know the best teams and then we're going really historical here today mm. the best teams to not win the stanley cup i still think that at least one maybe two of those rangers teams in the late 60s early 70s you know when boston montreal and philadelphia were winning at least one of those rangers teams were were good enough to Win a Stanley Cup and probably should have. Uh, Fridge or Fridge? I, I know Jeff. I know you and your pal Fridge have been doing a lot of work on the Cutter Gauthier story. Yeah, of, um, <laughs> Philadelphia. So yeah, I've been reading all the things that Fridge has reported, and you know yeah. his theory is that something there was some sort of breakdown in communication about 
signing Cutter Gauthier and, you know, bonus overages were involved. And in the back of my mind, I just keep thinking, like, it can't be that. It can't be as something what? as as something as, as just like yeah. meaningless as that. Do you know anything more about this? Nobody knows 100 percent. Like we all have theories. And this is what happens when, you know, we haven't because we haven't heard Kerry Goche talk like we haven't heard that side talk. Uh, his advisor, Kurt Overhart, we haven't heard um, Cutter Goche himself. No one's come out and said what happened from their point of view. So we still don't know. So what happens when there's, you know, when there's this, this type of, you know, question that's out there, you get all kinds of theories. And, you know, the uh, the, the overage one, um, it might have been an issue for the Philadelphia Flyers. I, I think what comes down to, I think what it comes down to is a, a case of bad timing. And then perhaps Cutter Gauthier not, you know, not saying, saying to the Philadelphia, this is, again, like, who knows if this is true, but what it feels like is, you know, something was said, something was done that upset Cutter Gauthier. And instead of telling the Flyers about it, that just became, well, I'm done then. I can't, like, whether it was, you know, he wanted to turn pro at a certain point. He was ready to go. The Flyers weren't there at that point. They wanted to go, you know, to, to BC for, for one more year. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but that, to me, seems like the most likely reason. Now, I'm sure that, you know, let, let's, not, let's not forget, too. At that time, Philadelphia was in complete chaos. Right. You remember the, yeah. the, the final couple of weeks of, uh, of Chuck Fletcher with the Philadelphia Flyers, right? Yeah. Like we, we would talk about it all the time. And, and, and Daniel Briere coming in and everything that happened with the Philadelphia Flyers organization, you know, that led to, you know, Dan Hilferty becoming part of the mix and Keith Jones becoming part of the mix. Like it was, to be blunt, it was a mess. It was a complete mess. And, you know, with the, uh, uh, with the exiting of Chuck Fletcher and Daniel Briere taking over and everything around that, I think that the Cutter Gauthier situation, again, hindsight 2020, is probably one that Briere would look back on now and, and would say, I probably needed to pay more attention to this one than I did. But at the time, everything was chaotic. And you were spinning plates and, you know, juggling, uh, juggling balls at the same time just to keep the organization running. And it felt like it feels like to me, the Cutter Goche situation kind of fell through the cracks. And maybe the Goche camp looked at that as if, you know, it's a sign of disrespect. I don't know. Again, we haven't heard Goche talk yet. We haven't heard his side talk. But that to me seems like probably the most plausible reason why things completely fell apart with, with Goche and the Philadelphia Flyers. We're gonna but I will, I, will say, I, yep. I will say one thing. Yep. I found it really interesting, because I've never heard this at a presser before. I found it really interesting hearing Daniel Briere thanking other general managers, essentially, for not spilling the tea on what the Flyers have up their sleeves with Cutter Goche. Mm-hmm. Because if that would have gotten, gotten out, then that would have completely reduced the bargaining power the Philadelphia Flyers had when they went out there to try to find the best you know, the best defenseman, the best young defenseman available. Um, so, Jeff, the Anaheim Ducks were, were a big part of this Cutter Gauthier story because that's where yep. he plays now. Um, do you think they're going to be busier as this season rolls on? Um, they've got guys like Adam Henrique 
um, who could yep. be a valuable add. You know, he's a good, solid 200-foot player, plays center. Uh, they've got a guy like Frank Vetrano who could be a nice add. Uh, I think he's got yep. a year left on his deal, too. Henrique would be a rental. But then we're also hearing rumors about players like Trevor Zegras. And yep. I wonder if that, you know, with the head coach and the GM there, is Zegras maybe just not their type of hockey player? Uh, I don't. I mean, that's like the poorly kept, poorest kept secret in the NHL. You know, I, I think they've entertained the idea. I don't think that I don't. I shouldn't say that. It's not that I don't think. I don't know whether they've actually engaged in discussions about Trevor Zegras. I think what all general managers do is gauge value for their players. I remember, you know, I was making this point on the radio show yesterday that, you know, one of the things that really opened Kelly Rudy's eyes, as he told me when he was playing with the Los Angeles Kings, the conversation he had with his general manager, Rogi Vashon, and he asked him about, you know, how often do you talk to other players about guys on our team? And Rogi said, I talk about every player with every general manager. It's my job to do that, you know, to find out how people are thinking about all the players on our team, what value the rest of the league places on all of our players. If I'm not doing that, then I'm not doing my job. Um, you know, I think that that's what, you know, I think that's what the Philadelphia Flyers were doing with Montreal last year in the draft around Cutter Goche. You know, Charlie O'Connor had the, the, the piece about the discussions between Montreal and Philadelphia uh, at the draft. And I, I checked around on that one. It turns out that that was the Philadelphia Flyers just trying to get a sense of what Cutter Goche's value was. Uh, with a lot of teams on the draft floor. Was there an official offer made? Was there something on the table? Not so sure about that, but I think all managers do that uh, with all their players. So I think it's folly to think that Trevor Zegers would be exempt from it with the Anaheim Ducks. Um, and I very much think that Pat Verbeek has a certain style of play uh, and a certain style of team that he wants uh, I think a lot of us look at that and say, like, we understand what Pat Verbeek wants and what type of player Pat Verbeek was. Is Does Trevor Zegras fit that mold? I think most of us have come to the conclusion that we don't think so. Does that mean that they're going to make a decision on Zegras sooner or later? Perhaps. I know I'm being incredibly vague here, but this isn't the first conversation I think that's been had publicly or privately about the Anaheim Ducks and Trevor Zegras. Yeah, Zegras got hurt last night, too, and he's going to miss yeah, some time. Yeah. And Cronin said after, this one's going to be a while, too. Uh, Jeff, 60 seconds left. Uh, you yeah. have a chance to really endear yourself to British Columbia here. A quick glance at the NHL standing. The Jets are in first. The Canucks yep. are in second. The Leafs are in ninth. Which is Canada's best shot at a Stanley Cup right now? Oh, wow. Um, I don't say Toronto because I can't see that happening with that blue line or that goaltending. Although Martin Jones all of a sudden just won four games in a row. Good on him. Uh, He's been great. Um, I'm waiting for the dip in Winnipeg. I've been saying it for a while, so maybe it doesn't happen. (laughs) But just, just, I mean, again, this might just be recency bias, but from what I saw in the game against New Jersey, what I saw in the way they just toyed with the Rangers at MSG and what we saw yesterday culminating in that beautiful Pedersen to Miller back to Pedersen play right in front of maybe the best goaltender in the NHL, Ilya Sorokin, uh, maybe recency bias, but uh, I'm going to say the Vancouver Canucks. Jeff, you're the best and enjoy your time in Victoria next week. We will do this again yeah. next week as well. For sure. We'll, uh, we'll chat then boys. Thanks. Appreciate it, buddy. That's Jeff Merrick from the 32 Thoughts Podcast and the Jeff Merrick Show here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A reminder, if you want to see Jeff 
and Frege and Kevin Bieksa and um, Brian Burke, right? They're all going to be there. We are giving away a pair of tickets today to the 32 Thoughts live show. It is going to be in just over a week's time, Thursday, January 18th from Wicket Hall in Victoria. It's a 2 p.m. show. We got a pair of tickets. These aren't just readily available to the general public, and you have to be able to go. That's a key part of this. You can't take the tickets and then flip them or not show up, right? Put them in the garbage can. You have to show up. That's a key part to this whole thing. I actually think they just put your name at the door. Whatever the case, okay? Like we don't do, do. Maybe yeah. we don't do paper tickets anymore. Maybe we're not going to physically hand you a pair. But please go. The spirit of it is you're going to get a pair of tickets. I kind of miss paper it. tickets, though. I used to have a little collage when I was a kid of all the shows I went to. You know what? I meant to ask that question to our listeners. If anyone out there is a Connect season ticket holder, can you specifically request paper tickets? I don't know. That's a good question. Just for your collection? Yeah. yeah. Like, you, you, I, I don't think you can... Give them at the gate anymore. I was asking no, no, about no, no. that for that. I went to the Batista game when he was getting his number retired. I wanted a memorial ticket for, it. and you, you can buy, you can buy one. They basically you can purchase a. It's another ticket. revenue stream. For it's the another government. revenue stream. We for sell these. we sell tickets. Yeah, yeah, I know you sell tickets. They, no, we sell the tickets. Yeah, they call yeah, it, could they get you to the building? No, <laughs> commemorative tickets that you can yeah. buy if you don't have a physical ticket. It sucks. It's not it's not the same as it used to be. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm just I'm curious. Anyway, if you want if you want to win the 32 Thoughts live show tickets or you have feedback for me, text to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Uh, if you want to be entered into the contest, put a ticket emoji in your what we learned. That's how you'll get into the grand prize contest. Uh, hour one, now in the book. Seven o'clock hour coming up. We're going to start with Jordan Hall. From NBC Sports Philadelphia, we got questions coming into the Dunbar Lumber text line about this Cutter Goche situation and just how bizarre it is. If we can get any real answers, we'll talk to Jordan Hall from NBC, NBC Sports Philly coming up next. And then at 8 o'clock, we are going to announce the winner of this year's Jack Diamond Award winner at the JCC Sports Dinner. So it's a big show. we got a lot more to get into. You're listening to the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650.